Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, it's actually yeah. inspiring. My daughter, who mm-hmm. is 27, has mm-hmm. been on this Mediterranean eat healthy kick mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. her eyes bugged out at some of the things in the book. Really? Like yeah, that. yeah. It's really it's a it's a nice book. It's a very we Thank want the you. crackers. Which oh yeah, which all, ones? There's yeah. like three different crackers. The uh, the cumin flatbreads or the which ones? All of them. Cheddar. We want all of the them. Cheddar. The cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the, love crackers. Can the you book tell? sort of torments <laughs> you, you know, ah, because you like you know you shouldn't eat those kinds of carbs, but you you must try the crackers. Yeah, I no, say no, no. carbs are carbs are fine. You can eat carbs, just not all the time. Sure, you can. I uh, eat Driscoffs. Oh, Biscoff, excuse me. Biscoff. Biscoff. It's uh, half, half ice cream and no, no. Uh, I fly yeah. Delta a lot, and yeah. my contribution to my husband who stays home is to bring Biscoff cookies. Yeah, and that's he's funny. developed an obsession. I have to tell that's you, <clears throat> when my kids were growing up, Martha Stewart is my nemesis. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. My kids, when, we, when they were growing up, I would try all I wanted to be Martha Stewart, as did many millions of other women. Mm-hmm. And I used to curse it after every failure. And I'd say, if only I had the staff that Martha Stewart has. <laughs> but you were a member of that staff. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I was the food editor at the magazine, so I mean, I might have been responsible for some of those, and if so, I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes we did maybe try too hard to, you know, make things beautiful, and sometimes in the process, maybe, uh, maybe they became complicated, but I don't think that was true across the board. I think we did a lot of recipes that were easy to accomplish, but um, I do think that in this book, I I don't do that. I'm not. I'm not overreaching. That's why I talk about sprezzatura. I don't know if you saw that yes. in the mm-hmm. first part of the intro of my book, which really translates to studied nonchalance. Mm-hmm. I want my food to be kind of very more laid back and casual, like a uh, like a really pretty girl with a messy ponytail or something. Yes, yes. Like not not you know super quaffed in in your perfect um, dress. So no. it's a little and that, bit. And that's what makes it so appealing. Exactly. Who doesn't like a pretty girl with a messy ponytail, right? Well, probably some people, but for but that's me. That's me, you know. Um, And I and I just have always longed to have these gorgeous tables. And I don't mean gorgeous in the sense of it's perfect, the crystal matches. I mean gorgeous as in it's a a raffish table with beautiful. Right. 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 Just exactly, exactly what your book is with the earthenware right. that that's mismatched, uh-huh. but it's got beautiful yeah. food on it. You know exactly. It's more. I say in my intro, it's more wabi sabi than fancy schmancy. It is absolutely that. You know, I didn't even say <laughs> what the book is. The book is called Open Kitchen, and our guest is Susan Spungen. Is that how you say your name? Spung- no, no, with a hard G. Susan Spungen. Spungen. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she has. She has. This is. Is just. This isn't your first book, right? No, no, no. It's sort of my fourth, if you count. Uh, 
Well, let's see, fourth or fifth, uh, if you count the one I co-authored when I was still at Martha, which was the hors d'oeuvres handbook, and then I did uh, recipes, a collection for the modern cook, and then I did what the hostess for do to do, and then I did um, a little a little book called Strawberry. So uh, that was just like a twenty recipe little book in a series. So depending on whether you count that one, that would make this my fourth book on my own. Is this your favorite? Oh, definitely. Um, it's been a long time since I've wrote, written a straight-up cookbook. I mean, really, 2005 was when I wrote my first book, but a lot has happened in cooking and in the oh, yeah. um, in the publishing, cookbook publishing industry since then. And, you know, because that one didn't really, uh, like, take off the way I hoped it would, it wasn't like there was a market for another book right away from me. So it's taken me this long to kind of kind of carve my own path through the food and cooking world and and find my own way and my own voice and I feel like this book really um, kind of embodies uh, my current kind of state-of-the-art cooking philosophy that that I have right now okay I I love your your voice I love your voice (laughs) I love your book I'm just gonna cut to the chase and say folks get the book it's called open kitchen by Susan Spungen, but I want to get back to like your yeah. trajectory toward this. What's your sure. what's your growing up story? My growing up story. Well, I you know it wasn't like I was surrounded by you know a lot of people have these stories where they had their mothers and grandmothers who were cooking all the time. That's not really my story. Um, I mean, there, there are people in my family cooked, but kind of like old world peasant cooking. It wasn't necessarily the most inspiring um, cooking to be around. But, you know, my mother did do a good job of getting dinner on the table every night, you know, almost every night, and even though she worked. And that's actually how I kind of got my feet wet in the kitchen in, in, at first. Is as soon as I was kind of old enough and capable enough, I kind of helped tag-teamed with her to get dinner on the table. Like, she would sort of prep something and get it ready, and then, and then I would, um, you know, kind of finish it off and brown the meat or that was one of the things I remember she'd say brown the meat (laughs) was she an ambitious uh, cook I mean did you guys just get food not really Uh she was a kind of a typical home cook but we did have like cookbooks in the house Mm -hmm. and I definitely um, enjoyed looking through them and picking out recipes I started off I was just really interested in it so I would do like bait little baking projects I especially was into cakes and cookies and I remember we had a big fat like McCall's cookbook and that I would get all my baking recipes out of there and you know sometimes my mother would say you're never doing this again because I would make such a big mess in the kitchen (laughs) well so so McCall's is light years away from where you are now so how did you first of all wind up as you were the first food stylist or food editor for Martha Stewart Living when it first came out, right? Well, yes, yes. So I, I, I pursued art as a uh, in for college. I wanted to. That's all I ever really thought about when I was younger was being an artist, and uh, didn't really know that there weren't really like a big lot of job opportunities and or even income opportunities with being an artist. So I tried it for a while, but then I kind of gave up. And I had always I'd always gravitated towards food, so I worked. Uh, in restaurants during college and I always enjoyed it but I didn't think well this is going to be my career someday mm-hmm. I just liked it I loved the camaraderie of working in restaurants I loved I wasn't really cooking but I was getting my hands dirty in the food because um, I worked I don't mean dirty I mean I got yeah. to Messy. slice things I right. made omelets in front of people and I got to slice up these fancy cakes and slice up smoked salmon and pâtés and things like that so you know I was sort of involved with the food but not cooking it, but that was a very good intro for me, and I kind of just started to develop a palette, and um, this is, you know, I was really young, like 18, I worked in this place, and um, and then over the years, to make a long story short, because it's kind of a long story, I um, eventually started to think, well, I didn't really have another career in mind, so I should try to pursue cooking as a career, and I didn't go to culinary school or anything like that, but I had just kept gaining experience because I would get hired to do things, even though I didn't have experience in those in those fields, and I just kept learning and learning and getting better and better and kind of fake it till you make it kind yeah. of thing, and yeah. 
So and when then, did you wind uh, up yeah. as the editor of Martha Stewart Living? What was that like? Well, yeah, so that was, you know, it was very, very beginning stages of the magazine. And um, I just uh, somehow, uh, part of the long story, I met somebody who uh, worked with Martha, you know, pre-magazine when she was just an author. I shouldn't say just an author, but Mm -hmm. she hadn't yet started publishing the magazine, but was a big author for Clarkson Potter and had done multiple books. And this, I had met her publicist uh, socially and, and uh, she, um, just uh, we exchanged numbers, and I think it was a whole year later she called me and told me that Martha was starting a magazine, and did I want to meet her? And I was like, yes, of course I do. <laughs> and we met, and, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. And it, t- it took a little while. I actually took one more job in the restaurant business. I became the pastry chef at a restaurant called Coco Pazzo right. in the early 90s. And, um, and at this point, I had met Martha, and she would come into the restaurant because it was a bit of a hot spot. And uh, so we knew each other at this point, and, but the magazine was just getting off the ground. And just in the process of over those nine months that I worked there, and I had already met everyone because I worked on a couple of test shoots on early issues, um, then they knew me, I knew them, and then eventually I got hired to be the, the very first food editor at the magazine, and then I stayed there for 12 years after that. And, and just very quickly, because I do want to get to the book itself, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What what was it like to be the person or, or a member of the team that presented this glamorous version of entertaining to people like me? Um, well, it was, it was pretty down to earth. It wasn't always glamorous. But honestly, in the beginning, we were just kind of following our noses. We were just, uh, Most of the people that worked there had not worked at magazines before, which is, I think, what made it seem so different. Um, Gail Towie, who was our creative director, had come from book publishing. She actually designed some of Martha's um, early cookbooks and wedding book, I think, she worked on. And um, we all came from different disciplines. And so we just kind of forged our own path. And so it was actually very uh, exciting to be part of that. But we were just literally like putting one foot in front of the other and kind of creating something new. We weren't really like listening to anybody else. And, and at that time, we were we were somehow just allowed to do that. And <laughs> that's what allowed us to be creative and to kind of forge a new path. So how did this book come to be what it is? Obviously, you have you know, a lot of years putting these beautiful mm-hmm. things together. So uh, the the recipes are, you know what I would say about the recipes? They're, mm-hmm. they're very modern, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Duca. I mean, people right. see that around and it's, mm-hmm. it sounds very exotic, but really, as my <laughs> daughter and I learned, it's just hazelnut, salt and pepper, right? right? And right. think, well, no, and, and sesame seeds. It has a variety of seeds and spices mm-hmm. and nuts, but probably stuff you have in your pantry already. Yes, yeah. of course. And, and the, it's, all so, it's all so inviting, and it's all mm-hmm. glamorous, and it's, <laughs> it's what you would – it's your fantasy world. Or it's my oh. fantasy world, not yours. It's my fantasy yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the ingredients – Mm-hmm. I guess you to get to this point of this very modern, healthy mm-hmm. but delicious way of cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your trajectory for, for that? Did you always work in environments where the food was, you know, healthy and and exciting mm-hmm. and new and exotic? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny that, you know, it's certainly not billed as a healthy cooking book, but I think it is a little bit healthier than some because that's the way I cook. You know, Mm -hmm. I personally do eat healthy. I, um, I love vegetables. There's a lot really very produce driven this book. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a dish, there's very few things that don't have vegetables or fruit in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I even sort of realized that till it was all done, but that's just because that's how I cook. Those are the things I like. And, um, uh, you know, it's really, um, I don't use... I'm a little suspicious of the desserts, I have to say. Uh, They seem extraordinarily healthy. No, are you kidding me? (laughs) 
Oh, my gosh. I was going to say that's the one exception. There's, this is definitely not a health book, but, um, no, they're full of butter yeah, and sugar the pinwheel, and yumminess. The cookie that has, I don't oh, know. the quinoa? Okay, well, that might be one thing. That, but even that's not really that healthy. But, uh, actually, that's probably the healthiest dessert in there because, yes, it's made with quinoa, sesame seeds, almonds, honey, and a little tiny bit of butter. So, to be honest, that one's a little bit healthy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There. Um, I looked at it. See, I don't, I, I, you know, I had chocolate mousse for breakfast. So, yeah. So well, turn this, to page 325 and you'll see something that is The chocolate so beet indulgent. one? Is it the chocolate? No, the chocolate malt semifredo with salted candied almonds. That okay. That is like beyond. That okay. is the <laughs> richest, most delicious thing. If you want to knock your socks off, eat that, make that, to make that, and it's so good. I'm going to do the hazelnut brownies first. ahead of time. Oh, yeah, you can do those. I'll do the hazelnut too. brownies. But, but the beet cake... The beet and chocolate, I'm a little suspicious of that one. No, 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 no. I, I served that at an event yesterday. It just disappeared in seconds. You wouldn't even really know there's beets in it. It's just, it's, and the beets aren't there to make it um, healthy because it's still got butter and sugar and all that stuff right. in it. Um, the beets really just keep the cake incredibly moist, and it kind of cuts the sweetness in a really nice way. There's a certain, certain earthy flavor, but you would never know there are actually beets in the cake. It's just... It just makes it um, better, you know. How did you wind up putting beets in a cake? Well, it's not untraditional. There are traditional recipes that that have beets in them, and I think I just I made one a few years ago, actually when I probably was working on some healthy recipes for one of the magazines I was working for. Um, so sometimes there's like a reason that you create someone when something when someone gives you a particular assignment, which was the case, and I was like, okay, I'm going to make a chocolate beet cake and honestly I wouldn't make any health claims about it because it still has right. a cup of butter yeah. and two sugar. and a quarter cups of yeah. sugar and six ounces of chocolate and a cup of heavy cream so I'm not going to make any health claims about this cake mm. whatsoever mm-hmm. um, but the, well, chocolate's the healthy that's I've been eating bre- sure. I've been eating chocolate for breakfast all my life. My my siblings used to joke <laughs> with me about that, and now yeah. I can say nana nana na It's a health food. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I can't eat chocolate for breakfast. No, no. I know. I, I I definitely that that that's been my go-to for a long time. What are your favorite recipes in the book? Wow. Let's see. Besides the um, chicken, I know you love the chicken, which oh, the by the way does chicken? look divine. The harissa chicken? The house chicken. Oh, the house chicken. Yes, I love the house chicken. Well, it's, this is so hard because yeah, everyone wants to ask It's like we, we do this. People say, what's your favorite restaurant in New Orleans? My husband's been doing this for 31 years. It's really hard to right. come up with that. Yeah. Of course, because is it the favorite for New Orleans cuisine or is it your favorite for just seafood? Or, you know, it's like that's, that's sort of I, I say the same thing about New York. It's like, well, do you want pizza right. or, you know, what's my yeah. you have to sort of break it down into categories. So and I do need to come up with a good single answer but I oh it's so hard I don't really have any favorites <laughs> how's the quinoa but, mac and cheese because my daughter tried that once and it didn't come out so good and now I'm my, saying well, you gotta try recipe, hers though. you gotta try hers not my recipe yeah 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 you should try it it's so good actually uh-huh. and you're taking those two um two sort of typically healthy ingredients, quinoa and kale, but it's really, really yummy. It's so good. It's a really good vegetarian main dish or a side dish with anything. I know I didn't really answer your question about what's my favorite. No, I, I was feel waiting like for you to chide single... me for, for saying I hate it's... kale. I, I unapologetically oh. hate kale. You do? I do. Oh, I you do. should... You should try that, but all right, my very, I don't have one favorite. If I had to pick a favorite, I think it would probably be out of the dessert chapter because um, there are a few things that really make me kind of weak need. I guess one of my very favorite is my triple ginger chocolate chunk cookies. Those are, and I worked so hard on that recipe, I probably made it like 15 times to try to get it right. So okay. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you that as my favorite recipe. Okay. Now, I think that your Nishwa salad picture mm-hmm. is jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Thank you. Can you give me the page number so I can get there quickly? Do I, I, don't I don't have oh, it. I don't have it. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's, I've got it. It's kind of like yeah. right in the middle of the book. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay. See, I, 
I live, I think, in a fantasy world. Like, like I, I think of myself, you know, dressing like Coco Chanel, but really my daughter says I look like a homeless person when I go out. So I think of myself as the kind of entertainer that could present something like that, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I'm not. But I want oh. to be. This is my fantasy. No. Well, you can be. It's no, I really can't. Easy. You've never been to my because house. Because <laughs> you, you can look at this picture and, and take it from there, you know. It's it's a That's, stunningly beautiful picture, though. Thank you. So, and this how, is something that I make frequently in the summer for guests because, you know, especially for a lunch, um, because you just put it on the table and everybody just digs in. Yeah. I mean, people really love this because, you know, it gives them a little freedom of choice. If they don't right. want to eat green beans, they could you know, right. stick to some of the other ingredients or whatever it is. They can take all their favorite um, bits and there's something uh, something for everybody on that platter. It's so beautiful. So if you had yeah. to, uh, it's, if you had to tell people why they, why they should buy the book, mm-hmm. that's what I'd like you to do. Why should, okay. Why should, well, why should they ahead. buy this book over all the others that are very beautiful as well? Well, because it's not just beautiful. It's not just a pretty face. I mean, I'm glad that everyone thinks it's beautiful, but it is, I think, full of, like, you know, really solid content, meaning recipes that you are going to want to use over and over again. I mean, people have been telling me they have so many things bookmarked in the book to make. And I think that these are recipes that are going to become, like, part of your repertoire once you make them. You'll learn them, and you'll make them over and over again. And I think you'll never run out of of inspiring ideas in this book for every season. Okay, so the the, the three crackers, back uh-huh. to the three crackers, because the book came in right after my daughter and I had decided we're going carb-free, and, and we oh, just looked at okay. it and went, oh, come on. I uh-huh. really like the flat one, the big flat ones. Yeah. I, I never let a, a piece of paper tell me what to do. Oh, no. Well, this you would. This book would. It's it's really beautiful. Actually, so, there's four. There's four crackers. There's the smoky cheddar crackers. Oh, she wants those. Deep. Are those great? Oh, yeah, they're I was, great. I was running out of uh, His Biscoff. Uh, Biscoff, so uh, <laughs> pardon me. While I'll let you uh, play this out. My husband isn't, isn't crazy about healthy food, so I told him just to sit there and eat his Biscoff crackers. There's the, the Duca Grissini. Don't forget the Duca Grissini and the whole grain cumin cracker bread, and then there's the charcoal crackers, because actually there's four. But um, You know what? The charcoal crackers didn't move me. Now, Okay, well, then you don't have to make those. Yeah, but, yeah. what is yeah. it about the charcoal crackers? Because you Send were very enthusiastic about them. If you don't mind, send me some. I would say only if you're really interested in making this sort of striking black thing. Mm. So if you're not interested, I, I think the whole grain cumin cracker bread are really nice and fun to make. They're delicious. So I would steer you towards those. Um, and I don't think anybody should be carb free anyway. Um, what's the point? <laughs> That doesn't mean I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to do it for like a a week. But, you know, I limit, I personally do limit carbs, but I don't eliminate them because I like them too much and I would, I feel deprived if I don't eat them. And so. Well, I, I, we, you know, my daughter and I, she's 27. We, we, Uh you know, have these things between us all the time and um and she's like into fried foods and she goes look i'm sorry i'm just not going to give up the fried foods and i i say that about chocolate it's like yeah. I, I need my chocolate i'm sorry but carbs right. i can i can go without carbs for a while but the crackers are making it really hard i'm gonna have to do the crackers <laughs> we're gonna have to do all i think you should do them we're I gonna think have to do, do at them. least three of the four crackers like i said the charcoal one is a beautiful picture no no two ways yeah, about it but it. you don't have to make them yeah just the <laughs> idea of of charcoal crackers is is kind of an arresting okay. thought Okay. <laughs> so I didn't okay. notice that There's you had two. There's something for everyone. There's something for everyone That's right. here. There is something for everyone in there. That's for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and so you still haven't come up with your personal favorites other than oh, I that did. dessert. Oh, oh, you wanted something else. Like a, okay, like a savory thought... one. Oh, okay. I've got one. Um, it's not going to be the favorite, but a favorite. Asabuco sugo with orange gremolata. So that is um, a delicious pasta sauce, like the one that you dream of, which is full of full of that yummy braised meat, and it's so good. And what I also love about this dish is that you can make the sauce, which is full of meat, um, a week ahead of time and freeze it. A month ahead of time and 
freeze it or maybe up to three days ahead of time and put it in the fridge. And then all you have to do when people come over is make the gremolata, which is just garlic, parsley, and orange zest, and uh, boil the pasta. That's it. You know, you one of the things that you focus on in the book and one of the actual central themes of the book is mm-hmm. this make ahead so that you can be at your own party yeah. thing. I needed this mm-hmm. book 30 years ago because when the kids uh. <laughs> were growing up, we did a lot of entertaining. We live on five acres. We had big kid uh. parties and stuff like that. And nice. you, you talked about who wants to... <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to have a party with a, a sink full of dishes? That was right. us. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. always us. And, yeah. and people just knew to come in and expect that the kitchen would be a wreck because that's that was just the way we did it. And mm-hmm. I wish that I wish that I was organized to do this in very careful steps. But you sort of you take people through those steps, don't you? I do. I do. Yeah. So I, every recipe is accompanied by uh, a little box of timing tips yeah. at the yeah. end. And so I tell you exactly what you can do ahead and what you shouldn't do ahead, what you should save for the last minute to make everything kind of be at its peak of flavor and freshness. Um, you know, using that asabuco ragu as an example, up to two weeks, I should have set up to a month or three months ahead to make the uh, make the sauce and uh, a day ahead defrost the sauce. <laughs> That's uh-huh. not hard, is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, up to two hours ahead, make the gremolata. No big deal. That's just chopping up some parsley. Uh-huh. One hour ahead, reheat the sauce. And at the last minute, cook the pasta and combine with the sauce. Very, very easy. So um, each recipe has, you know, Different, uh, uh-huh. different breakdown, but I feel like a lot of recipes just say, oh, you make ahead. You can make this whatever time ahead. I think there are different parts of the recipe that you can do ahead of time just to make, kind of streamline it over a day or two um, so that it just feels easier, you know? It yeah. feels easier when you get a little prep in maybe uh, be- while you're cooking dinner the night before. Maybe you get something going and put it in the fridge. You know, you do have to plan ahead if you want to make nice food for other people. Right? I want to hear what happened after that, all do. that parsley that you, you mentioned. You, you do have to plan ahead. And <laughs> if you don't plan ahead, you have what we had so many times, which was this mess of a kitchen. We still had great, you know, I mean, these are your friends who are coming over and whatever right. happens, they're down for it, you know. But, yeah, but yeah. it would be nice to be more relaxed you know, there was, sure. one t- <laughs> there was one time that my husband got into this idea where he was going to bake bread. We, we've we hosted uh, Thanksgiving for our family for 20-some-odd uh, years, and he decided uh, he was going to do bread this year. And so people arrived at the house. There was nothing done but bread in the oven. So we, we could really have used this book a long, long time right, ago. Right, right. I mean, I've heard that sad tale too many times <laughs> of people, you know, not of inviting people over for an 8 o'clock dinner, and at 11 they're still waiting, you know. know. And you don't. You don't like why? Why? It's it's. First of all, your guests are starving. They want to go home before they've even eaten. And you know, so I really believe in like invite people over at seven. Have you know have an, a half an hour, forty five minutes of mingling and snacks, and then sit down and have dinner. I it mean, most people so these civilized. days. It does. They want to go home. <laughs> they don't want to stay all night. You know. So that's the main hmm. reason to buy the book. Aside from the fact that it's absolutely gorgeous and it makes you want to cook everything in it right now. Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn these skills for your own parties, there you go. Open Kitchen could, by Susan Spungen. I could bet that you would turn out one heck of a beautiful uh, uh, Thanksgiving day. I guess, cause oh, the, yeah. The things do, you mention uh, are, for the most part, they're gaps that need to be filled somewhere, and you just gave all the, uh, <laughs> the categories for them to get with it. So, I'll Absolutely. go get that produce and that ham, and then you can uh, we can all put it together, and that's Thanksgiving. Yes. That's next <laughs> year, isn't it? Some of those pages look like they're all Thanksgiving. That's how beautiful they are. I know you can only stay for half an hour, and I thank you so much for coming on with us. I highly recommend this book, and I'll be, I'll be mentioning it throughout the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Goodbye. Bye. All right. That was Susan Spungen. And uh, she is um, she is out of New York City and uh, the Hamptons. So, you know, she has help, I think, for a lot of the parties that she does. But 
That doesn't mean you can't aspire to that. It's absolutely a beautiful book. It's called Open Kitchen by Susan Spungen. And uh, I wanted to ask her what her next book was, but she but she's on a tight schedule. So back to reality, The Food Show. 260-6368 is the number. If you would like to chat with us, we have Philip Lopez from Galatoire ah, coming in. That'll be He'll interesting. He'll be in at 4 o'clock, and we'll do an interview with him. But in this half hour between then and now, if you would like to chat with us about anything, if you have any questions about that gorgeous book, I can probably answer them. I practically know about it by heart. I mean, I, I liked it that much. It is really a knock-your-socks-off kind of book. Two six zero six three six eight is the number. We are going to be heading back to the Bantan again for a last hurrah after the show, and are very excited about that. We had a quick little lunch at Barcadia today, where I wanted to try out their club sandwich in my ever extensive research on the best club sandwich around mm. i uh i tried barcadia's mm. it, it is not in contention for the mm. best doug what did you think of the club sandwich doug's not listening oh he is listening <laughs> he was uh, yeah i said what did you think of the club sandwich from barcadia it had enough bacon in it to be interesting yeah, it had, wait, what? It had enough bacon in it to be interesting. It was interesting. It mm. was uh, it was ordinary, I thought. It had two different kinds of cheeses, which surprised me. It had a really intense bacon. When I have to wrestle with bacon, I don't I don't like that. I don't like bacon that is that is so stiff that I have to actually like yeah and that usually is what what happens um, if the bacon is I don't know I don't know what it is that makes bacon like that but it's it's usually like a premium bacon thin sweet a little bit acidic a little bit smoky a little bit and you if you have all that balanced out you've got it mm -hmm. this bacon was was thicker yeah, it was thick. It was a thick bacon. It was not a thin bacon, so it uh, you had to have teeth to yeah, eat it. Yeah, no, this. it's it's definitely, you had to wrestle it for and sure, it, and it, I don't like bacon that you have to wrestle. It, what? it could probably keep from getting, uh, you know, like hit up in a dangerous situation, too, you know, if you happen to have that with you. Yeah. You could uh, maybe, you know, without the, 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 the problem guy uh, would give up. There you go. I've just thought about it. But Good. Uh, I'm glad. 260-6368 is the number. We are, it's a beautiful day outside. This would be a great day to go to, um, you know, the Blue Crab or some other place that you uh, might, could maybe sit outside. I had lunch today at Saba, and um, we sat inside, which was, which was unfortunate. Oh, we have to take a break. Let's take a break. Two six zero six three six eight. We'll be back. Welcome back. It's one hundred five point three FM HD two. Tom, how That's many of those Biscoff things. cookies do you have left? Let's see. <laughs> I think about. Uh, do you have more packages <clears throat> anywhere? Uh, yeah, I, somebody uh, actually delivered over here. Yeah, Don Clement. Thank yeah, you, Don. Well, I yeah, thank you. It's two, four, six, eight, yeah. ten, uh, eleven more. Is that, that's not your only package, though, right? Wasn't well, like a I, big box full I think of, this for, is about uh, the end of this one. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, you, you can always more, buy new ones. I think there might be some more in there. I think that's about the run that of it. it. I'll take a look, though. That is it. Anyway, also yeah, at Barcadia. Yeah, while you're doing that, go ahead. I'll uh, take okay, a look. Okay, so be quiet, and then I'll, I can keep talking. So uh, at Barcadia, they have a Lenten menu, and they had a crawfish bisque on the Lenten menu. And usually when I see a crawfish bisque, it's very creamy, it's very thick, and it's just got crawfish in it. This came to the table, and it was like a stew. It had corn poking out of it, little cubes of potatoes, crawfish, and a cream soup that was um, really not much of the bowl. Most of the bowl was the stuff, and there was a lot of it. And I thought this, oh, it had carrots, too. 
And I thought, this is definitely not what I think of when I think of a crawfish bisque. Well, so I took a bite, and it was really spicy. So clearly it had the boil, as it's referred to in quotes, the boil water in it. And, um, and it had all the vegetables, but the boil water is where it got its seasoning. And I thought it was really good. It was not a typical crawfish bisque, though. Well, you know, there are a couple of different bisques or things that go under the name of bisque. And I think at the time there was a heat uh, kind of mountain that took over around the time that uh, your friend uh, was in in the job and just getting in. And uh, what came of that is that you would go into mostly really fancy restaurants and find that they were doing uh, a, a shrimp bisque, a Foie gras, or what, what almost anything would go into it, and it would be much, much richer than what passes under right. the, the idea of. Uh, you know, it's hard to beat. It's hard to beat a good mushroom bisque. Oh, delicious stuff! Mushroom bisque is delicious, absolutely delicious. Um, I do like crawfish bisque. I am trying to think of what other kind of bisque I like, but uh, lobster bisque is okay because I'm not much of a lobster fan. Crawfish bisque is what we see mostly around here, but that mushroom bisque, a good creamy representation of a lot of different mushrooms is just great. I just finished writing down because I I didn't want to get this in the way or interrupt you either. I didn't mean to do that. But um, there was uh, what you're talking about, the, the mushroom bisque and all of that. Uh, there was a time when over at the Louis Sixteenth restaurant here in New Orleans uh, had these, uh, they just called them uh, by the names of the vegetable that uh, took over, but they were making it for just about anything you could imagine. And there, there were so many different kinds of very fancy French style, they say anyway, but close enough. And uh, it really became a standard, and everybody uh, came to love it, and then they forgot about it. All of this in about a week and a half. Hmm. Wow. All right, 260-6368. If you'd like to chat with us, you've only got a few minutes to do that. Or if you want to hold a call and uh, ask whatever it is that you have to uh, ask or say to Philip Lopez from Galatoires, he is going to be in to talk about uh, himself his past, and the future of Galatoire's that he sees under his aegis. Aegis. It's a weird word. Well, it's used in uh, <laughs> lots of part of the Middle East. Aegis. Uh, is that right? Okay. No, but I thought it would be fun. to. <laughs> it uh, sounded good. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, back to the various food that we've eaten today or I've eaten today. Um, I went to Saba and... Uh, let me, let me make this clear so that everyone doesn't think I'm just eating all day long, which is kind of not too far from the truth. But uh, Tom had uh, we, Tom and I went, we had a little time to kill before the show, and I wanted to sit outside somewhere, and it was close to the radio station, so we went and had this club sandwich that I've been kind of wondering about at uh, Barcadia. Actually, Doug had a half of it, and Tom and I had a little bit of it. But um, at Saba, which is where I had an official sort of lunch, um, I didn't really pay much attention to the ordering. I got to start paying attention to ordering because I'm usually in the midst of talking and uh, and I don't really care about ordering. And then um, food's on the table and I say, oh, gosh, how did this get here? Um, So the waiter was recommending a lot of things and my companion was very familiar with the restaurant so what we had on the table was a and I feel kind of bad because uh, she wanted to order Brussels sprout hummus and I changed it to blue crab because I thought that would be kind of fun there was absolutely no taste of blue crab that I could discern in the hummus I think the Brussels sprout one would have been better. But we also got labna with, Mm. is it ikra salmon roe? 
ikra. No, I've never heard ikra that word. salmon. And um, we had an eggplant, an eggplant, and it was, it was reddish. I'm going to have to look at the menu to see what we had. And then what else was on that table? There was a leek dish with a lot of really great crumbly feta, but the crumbles were huge. And of course, the famous, famous pita bread with the dipping sauce that that comes. I was I was thinking that I would maybe get something other than the appetizers to get because I think they probably had a couple of other things there. But honestly, I just wasn't that hungry, and there was a lot that appeared on the table. All of a sudden, we were just talking mostly, so we didn't really we didn't really get too into the menu so that's yeah, yeah. that's not much to report but it was well, pretty busy there i had one it was you know garlic and sardines this uh of course was yeah. uh, uh you know the two things go together beautifully for the, the food yeah, side Chef of it andrea and, yeah. would say that for sure i want to see if he's found his sardines so that he can serve them for well Lent. well if he has he will have something that i think you will like quite a lot has anybody gone to any of the Lenten anythings? There's been, uh, this, this is our second Friday, right? Yeah, this is our second Friday in Lent. Have you been to any fish fries? I'm kind of obsessed with fish fries. Let's go to Alan. Alan? Yes. Welcome. Come on in. It's the food show. Marianne is here, too. Hi, Marianne. Uh, you, you were talking about bisques, and you didn't mention... Uh, a good old New Orleans bisque, uh, corn and crab. Yes, I love it. Yeah. I think um, here in Seattle, a version of bisque is more of a chowder. Yes, that's what this Very was today. Yep. It was more of a chowder, what I had today. And, I, and chowder's good. Uh, and switching a bit, I wanted to ask you both, have you been, because you mentioned Saba, um, there's a Moroccan restaurant in Metairie. Um, Casablanca. Yeah, where is it? So, uh, yes, um, not since the, not since, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of her name now. Not since the changeover. No. Why? Oh, well, see, you say changeover. It used to be a, a mother and yes. daughter. Yeah. And... From Mar- from Morocco, there were Moroccan Jews. Well, oh. yeah, but I don't think she's from Morocco. I think she's, her family's from. She's Morocco. from everywhere. Yeah, I and think her family's from Morocco. She's American, but I think her family origins are Morocco for sure. Boy, I would Linda. Love to. That's her name, Linda Wachnin. Yeah. Ah, I, what a great lady who did amazing. Uh, Middle Eastern food that sometimes didn't even taste like that. It was just plain good. She made her own couscous. Terrific. <laughs> All of uh, that. It, so does does Linda still own the restaurant? No. No, Linda sold it to this guy from New York who had no restaurant experience but liked the restaurant. And she was looking to reduce her workload and decided it was time to retire. So she sold the restaurant and then within two years was back at it in catering. And she has a company called Davash Catering. Hmm. I recall that, you know, she was the only uh, restaurant that was actually technically kosher. Right. Well, the, no, there's um, kosher Cajun Deli, right? Oh, well, yeah. Um, what, oh, I can't think of his name. but um, Joel Brown. Yeah, he, yes, Joel. He's, he's, he's had that for, uh, for a long However, time. However, yeah. Um, but, uh, and, okay, now I'm going to ask. You said at Saba you had an eggplant dish. I make a Moroccan eggplant that um, my friends just beg me to, to, to make it all the time and invite them. Um what I do is um, I roast the eggplants in the oven uh, first and just dice it up, mash it up with, uh, with other ingredients, tomato and so forth. W- can you tell me about uh, the eggplant that you had? Lutenitsa. 
It's yeah. called it's called Lutnitsa, Lutnitsa, and it is roasted eggplant, tomato, and red pepper. Any smoke in there? No. Because uh, that that the, those uh, uh, fishes that got well the, the uh, vegetables rather. Uh, they have a way of coming together of those two flavors, but I think it's pretty good. But uh, The feta cheese was Bulgarian feta, which uh, was delicious. It was really, really good. It, yeah. Alan, are your ancestors Moroccan or Eastern European? So um, I have a grandmother on my dad's side from Turkey. Okay. Um, but most of my family, oh my, uh, many of them didn't make it through uh, World War II and, and the camps and so forth. Um, uh, my grandmother was traumatized by that, uh, and she could she never spoke about her past. But on my mom's side, uh, European, uh, well, Germany and Holland, actually. Oh, really? So, oh. yeah. So that would that wouldn't technically be called an Ashkenazi Jew. Well, yes, my my on my mom's side Ashkenazi and my dad's side more Sephardic because of my grandmother from Turkey. Now, I thought Sephardic was Moroccan. No. Yes, and yes, anywhere that's that's outside of Western Europe uh would be like Spain, North Africa, Middle East, those are Sephardic Jews. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Sephardic and food. then the Eastern European uh, ones are the Ashkenazi or Ashkenazi. And is Saba owned by Israelis? Is that the one that's Yes, owned? that's the one that is owned by uh, Alan Shaya. We have to take a break, Alan. You want to hold on for a minute? Okay. Sure. Okay. Two six zero six three six eight is the number. You're listening to WWL 105.3 FM HD2. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's wrap it up with Alan. We have Sal <laughs> waiting. So, Alan, what else did you have? Um, I did have something, but it slipped my mind. So I guess we oh, I hate I when that happens. Oh, I remember. I was going to ask you, are you still going to do a little summary of yesterday's show? I, I went online and nomenu.com. And, um, if, we beg, if we beg Doug very nicely, I fed you today, Doug. <laughs> Maybe we can get him to put up the podcast from yesterday. I think he's oh, ignoring well, me. I was, not only that, but I was mentioning, I mean, the. That's a good you know, show, too. Writer, that was a good show. Doug, please, can you put it up? I, I know. <laughs> so if, if, if Doug does that, then you, you'll do a little write-up, the little summaries. I always enjoy that. Oh, you know what? We changed the website, as you know. And so yeah. uh, I have to. we're having a meeting this weekend to figure out what happens with that part. We're, we're trying okay. to figure out what happens with all the different parts of it. So we have to we have to talk to our our coder to see where they go. So well, I'm going to try. Proud. Did you, did you? So you think that synopsis is worth keeping? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and and, and right. I'm a five star member, so I'm I'm very proud to say that too. Okay. Okay. I will. <laughs> I will mention that. Thank you, Alan. All right. right. Take care. Bye. I'm just the hired hand. I'm just the the one who's kept the ship from going under for the last year. And now um, and now I only have a small vote. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'll mention that I will appeal on your behalf, Alan and other people. So let's go to Sal. Hi, Sal. Hi, Marianne. Um, How are y'all? We're good. How about you? Excellent. I have uh, three things that I wanted to uh, bring up, two regarding the second Friday of Lent. I am on my way later on this afternoon to the uh, fish fry at Our Lady of the Lake in Mandeville, and uh, the first one I've participated in, so I'll let you know how it is next week. I would love to Uh, know that. Take some pictures. uh, I'm not sure if I'll be there that long. I'm going to go pick up and bring home, actually. Although they do have an a area where you can stay and eat. No, 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 no. Just like I would like to see what the product looks like. So oh, even if it's okay, in a container, sure. just take a picture of it and send it to me, okay? Sure. I'll, thanks. I'll email it to you. Sure. Right, thanks. But um, the second thing is, are you all aware of any restaurants that serve turtle soup with actual turtle meat in it rather than veal or pork? Yes. I called Dina's a little while ago, and they said that theirs is done with veal. 
Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, uh, that's widespread in a lot of restaurants, uh, most notably Commander's Palace. Doesn't Porter and Luke have real turtle in the Por- That was going to be the next thing I was going to say. Porter and Luke. Oh, that's wonderful. That's one of the best versions of turtle soup in the city today. They do use entirely crab, uh, I'm sorry, not crab, uh, uh, turtle, turtle meat, meat, and they cook it terrifically, and it's unbelievable what it looks like. It's It seems to be just dead black. But the wow. flavor is really terrific. But the only way you would not like this is if you didn't like oysters at all. Or turtles. You mean turtles? Why yeah. turtles? <laughs> <laughs> you said if you turtle, don't eat reptiles, yes. That oysters, you know, they all have shells. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, what, what's the other thing? And no one, no one has the coax us to come out of our shell, that's for sure. Anyway, the other thing was um, I wanted to ask if y'all are aware of or have ever been to the little restaurant on Lafitte in Mandeville called Gio Valorenci. Oh, do oh, I ever. Is it good? What is yes. It, what's the deal? Is it, it, it never looks busy. It doesn't look busy, but it is. When they first started... They had actually uh, something on the order of five layers of places uh, to to get pizzas and everything else. It's it's kind of in a corner of uh, a small strip mall, and the people that own this are very nice folks. And they're f- from somewhere in Italy. I don't I can't remember where exactly, but they've got it nailed down. Once they start uh, sending out the pasta dishes and the pizza and all of it, they, they have they don't have pizza. They don't have pizza. Are you talking, and I talk Gio, about the same place. You're talking about place. Leonardo's. Uh, Gio's Villa Vonkery is uh, in yeah, an old space that was Opal Basil, that tiny little space there by the trailhead. That, that is what you're talking about, right? Right. Yes. Exactly it's upstairs. Right. Oh, well, forget my uh, it's stupidity. It's upstairs, and it is pasta. Thanks. And yes, it's good. They've moved from um, from 190 or whatever you call that road there where the, uh, the, the, the hot dog place is, they were right there. And they've moved from there to this little tiny space uh, that used to be Opal Basil. Yes, it's very good. Yes, he is from Italy. And, uh, yeah, I, we would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. I've never been. Uh, look, always looking for new places to try. Yep, that would be one. Thanks a lot. I'll take All care right. and have Thanks. a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Have a good weekend. All right, 260-6368. If you would like to talk to us after the top of the hour, I hope that Philip Lopez is coming in. He is supposed to be here. We'll talk about Galatoires and other things. WWL 105.3 FM HD2. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.